Hi, I'm Nathan Ryder, and welcome to the Viber Survivors podcast, where I talk to PhD graduates about their research, their Viber, and life after the PhD. This is episode 28, and today I'm talking to Dr. Anthony Whitaker, who recently completed his PhD at the University of Liverpool. Tony researched part-time for his PhD in music and produced a portfolio of original compositions with a composition commentary. It was interesting to hear about a field of research very different to my own and to hear about Tony's experiences studying for his PhD part-time. Well, first of all, thank you for uh, joining me this morning, Tony. Um, it was great to hear from you and it, your research really sounds um, interesting. So would you like to start us off by um, saying a bit about your research and how you came to do it? Yeah, well, it seemed like um, a, a natural um, sort of uh, flow on, if you like, from uh, from work I was doing at the time and also from um, uh, another for my MMOS degree that I was doing as well. So um, uh, when I decided I wanted to uh, become more interested in composition, I was actually working as a college lecturer. I was in FE at the time. And I found myself writing music for student ensembles, you know, um, this would be in a variety of different styles, sort of like jazzy things or more serious, more classical pieces. And um, I, I found I was really interested in writing pieces and I, I just wanted to take it further because r- composing music was something I did just sort of on my own back based on my own musical training as a musician. And I was sort of craving that need for um, some kind of formal input from somebody and sort of guiding me with my composing. And that's why initially why I did my MUS degree. And then uh, because I'm, I'm a family man, and I was sort of based you know, locally and uh, running my own sort of business as well as the lecturing, um, it was quite difficult to decide to go away to university somewhere. So I was looking for an opportunity locally where I could study composition. So I thought, well, okay, um, what, what it, I did the MMOS at Liverpool, so maybe that's an opportunity there as well. And, it, and it, at the time, it, it wasn't, and it came online about 2006, 2007. And I thought, right, I really want to be included in this. And, um, and they took me on, and that was great. And that's why I ended up doing it, because I wanted that sort of formal structure and also some kind of accreditation, I suppose, for, for what I was doing and, and some kind of validity to, to my voice as a composer as well. And, and that's basically why I started doing it. Okay, so there's um, something interesting in what you've just said because from my my, my perspective as a, a mathematician, when I do research, I I go away and I I look at you know journals and articles and, and look for ideas, and I could definitely I see that as a creative thing, and obviously with music and composition, there's creativity there. So how does the the composition work in line with the the research aspects of a PhD? Well, it's very much a practice-based submission. So you could say that anything you write is is an original um, contribution to knowledge, which is sort of on a yeah. base level. Um, obviously, it can't be what, what as musicians, we, we term a pastiche writing. So it can't be pastiche work. So it can't be in the style of somebody that already writes, really, you know, or, or, uh-huh. or older music. So um, how does it become valid research? Because valid research, by exploring your own sort of sounds, taking um, 
taking people who influence you, major influences, and thinking, yes, they're important to me, but I'm now going to go and do this with it. And and just sort of learning from previous people's sort of methods, but then developing it, I guess, with taking like a like a musicological viewpoint or another type, sort of writing about research, that they would take one point and then they would experiment to an, another stage, just a little bit. So that would be their original contribution. And with composing, you're sort of bringing in your own voice, um, which is influenced by other people, which you actually also you have to write about. It's not just about writing the piece, if you like. You're also writing um, uh, the reasons why you're doing it. And, and part of my submission, actually, was, was not just writing the music. It was also writing a thing called a composition commentary. So in that you've um you're, you're basically you've got two parts where the first part is saying who your major influences were and saying look these people do this and i do the other and and it's influenced from uh, in one thing influences the other and then the second yeah. part is actually talking about the music you've written and uh, analyzing it and breaking it up into detail and to, and to why that came into being so you do have original writing and then you have original composing uh, I'll come back in a second to to ask you a little bit about what that the experience of doing the PhD was like, but I'm just curious a, a little bit about the submission. Mm -hmm. So how did how does the how does your thesis look? So what is it? Um, well, yeah, actually, I'll just leave the question open. How does your thesis look? Because I'm really curious. Well, it, it looks a bit strange in some ways. It's in two parts. So physically, the physicality, if you like, is there. There's a box file which has to be bound appropriately. And in there are individually um, bound single scores of each individual piece, so of which there are 17 pieces in my particular folio. So they all go in the box file. And inside there, you've got two uh, CDs. Well, actually, one's, a, one's an audio CD and one's a DVD because some music was videoed. So you've got that, and, a and it's a list containing what's in, saying what's in the box file, delineating the order of things and when they were written. And then accompanying that is a more traditional-looking submission, if you like. There is the, the bound thesis. The composition commentary is a bound bit of writing. But that's not as long, so it's not, say, what would be the standard, what, 80,000 words? The, yeah. the, um, the composition commentary uh, it has a maximum of 20,000 Okay. It's a bit like, so I suppose, like a master's dissertation length, I suppose you could say. Um, but it's it's actually supporting the original work, which is in the box file of pieces. <laughs> yeah. So what was it like? Because um, I, I take it because you mentioned starting in 2006, 2007. So you've worked um, part time on your PhD and you said you've got your own business and you were lecturing. What was the experience like doing your research over that period of time? It's well, it, it is by its very nature, I suppose, a, a really protracted experience, isn't it? And the, I think you start with tremendous enthusiasm, trying to write and taking stuff to your supervisor and saying, "What do you think? What do you think?" And a, a lot of that sort of happened. And there was um, a lot of initially just trying to get some music together and get it, get some formal input to it. So in the first sort of year or even year or two it was about doing that and and then what tended to happen was a, a sort of structure came from the department where at least once a year there would be a visiting ensemble of performers and they would come and give a concert but they'd also spend the whole day workshopping um composers 
um, from from the department. So you you would have to prepare a score and parts for the individual players, and they would play that, and it would be recorded. And if this worked well, that would then go towards your folio of compositions. You see, so that was the sort of structure of, of what we were doing basically in the early years you would get ensembles coming and your main project your main work your main research would be writing music for them and also writing about how you did it so you had your methodology uh, clearly outlined if you like yeah. so that's basically how, how that worked and really it's only uh, when i had to sort of do the writing to, to uh, upgrade from mphil to phd that i actually have to present any type of, of structured writing so that was quite scary itself <laughs> having to do right. four or five thousand words about what about me i guess one of the toughest things about this is unlike researching say music on uh, in um, uh, elgar or something so writing about what what that composer has done and and reading about papers and, and books and, and putting an art you know writing together writing about yourself is incredibly difficult <laughs> because you're having to justify why you do what you do the whole time and it's not about anybody else it's about you and you, it, it pre produces this interesting sort of uh, retrospective thing that you've got to you know and really look at yourself and it's quite tricky so so i did that and that was interesting but wasn't a vast amount of help with the writing i have to say uh, it's okay. a case of you know you have to just produce his writing and do it and then go and defend it once you've done it really <laughs> uh, i remember my enfield phd upgrade interview being really quite stressful and i think gosh that was actually quite a tough hour <laughs> you know right. and what i've done so far and why and uh, but that, this was yes of course you're upgraded it was all fine at the end of it um but i thought well crikey that's quite difficult and then after that point i the, I think the problem with doing it over sort of about seven years is that there's a danger of coasting, isn't there? And I think when you work as well, that you think, well, I should be progressing with this particular thing. And, and trying to get that, that work life and or even work and PhD and life balance right is particularly difficult. I think when you're particularly bringing up young children as well. So yeah. the, I, I felt that probably if we were to pick something at randomly, I would say probably years four and five were quite loosely structured, <laughs> to put it kindly. Uh, you know, and, and, um, and it was after that point I thought, well, no, I really, really must get this done now. And um, I was going in to my supervisor lots um, and writing and saying, so what do you think about that? And I get feedback on my scores and there'd be annotations on them and saying, you know, could you consider doing X, Y and Z? Sort of loose guidance and things. Um, uh, yeah, and that sort of thing happened, and that was that was quite interesting. But that's sort of how it how it went. It was, it was quite loosely structured. A lot of the onus was on me, I think, to come up with the goods, really. And so, towards the end of your, I suppose, the time that was leading up to submission, what what was that experience like for you? Did you have sort of out of your seventeen? Did you have most things finished for your compositions, and were you focusing on the commentary, or were there lots of loose ends that you were tying up towards submission? Well, temperamentally, as as I've been working along the way, because of those projects I talked about earlier about how um, you know ensembles would come and they'd want the parts and the piece done and they'd record it, a lot of stuff was done. Okay, so it was worth going back, obviously revising, just listening back to each piece, following it, seeing if I'd made any fundamental errors that, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, or maybe I should just make it look a little bit better, a bit clearer. So I did a little bit of that because it would be silly not to. Um, but effectively, at least as you'd gone along the way, each composition was 99% done. 
So that's great, you know, in that sense. So really, I guess in the, the, la the last 12 months of it, it was all about the commentary. And it, I'm trying to, one of the problems that I had, uh, I think, was with the department, because it was new and I was a bit of a guinea pig. There was one person who'd done it before me and he'd done his own thing and he got through and that worked out. And mine wasn't really on the same sort of lines uh, in terms of structure. And, and also the department were changing their minds in terms of what they wanted to look for, I think. Um, so I felt very much that I didn't know what they wanted. And that, that was a bit of an issue. So I was writing and writing and trying to get feedback the best I could. But because it was a new thing for them, it wasn't desperately clear, I think, to either party where we were going with it. Okay. Um, so how did... Um how did it end up with the submission then? Were you were you happy when it was submitted? Well, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure I was. I was happy with my music I'd written. I thought, well, because the, basically it had to be 80 minutes of original music. So I thought, okay, uh, that, I've done that. So that fills that. Because the guidelines were very sparse. It was basically produce a folio of 80 minutes of music and um, a written commentary that contextualises your work. Okay. And that was it. <laughs> so I thought, okay, right, well, I think I have done that, and I've written enough stuff, and I thought, well, okay, I'm going to put it in, and let's see what happens. Because, of course, I, one of the main problems was um, my supervisor had been sick. I mean, he'd, he'd gone off ill, uh, you know, serious health problems. So, so, so that was the problem, and there was a period of time when I was floating without supervision, but I was equally thinking, well, I'm also getting to the end of my registration, I need to do something about it and finish. Yeah. So, so that, was, that was a bit of an issue, obviously. What What happened then? Did you have a long period of time between submission and your viva, or was it was it relatively close? It was a bit tricky. It was relatively close. I had to sort of press for it because um, it, it was tricky in terms of my personal working, which sometimes takes me overseas. So um, we managed to get it sorted. I think I submitted it in the July. Of 2013, right. yes, I did. So I'm in July of 2013, and the Viva was in October. So not too bad, I don't think, really. So it was quite close. Okay. And so between submission and the Viva, what sort of things were you doing in preparation? Did you, were you given any specific advice, or were you just doing what you thought was best? I was basically doing what I thought was best. And one of the things I thought I should do that was best, first of all, was to just leave it for a little while. <laughs> Yeah, so much into it. It was just sort of crazy, really, and, and so much effort had gone into it. I thought, right, I've no idea if that's what they're looking for, but it's gone in, and I'm happy it's gone in, and I'm just going to take a bit of time now because the Viva isn't going to be in August, you know. No. So, <laughs> so I thought, let's let's not do that. So by the time September came though, and we got we got a date finalised, um, I, I thought, right, well, okay, it's time to start looking over it again. And, and I thought, well, I'm going to start preparing for the survivor as um, best I can. And I think, obviously, they're going to ask me about my music because that's obviously the major thrust of why I'm, I'm, I'm going to be there. So I went through every aspect of it, um, sort of annotating the scores, trying to produce really clear sort of um, ideas in my mind in terms of form, structure, where the music was going, how the music was put together playing the music over either at the piano or or listening to it and and trying to really get inside it i mean one of the things that i was taking comfort from was in that time was that actually nobody knows this music better than i do <laughs> so yeah. even if you know they can try and pull it apart and ask various questions but i reckon i can probably defend 
why it is what it is, because if I can't, why did I do it? And and it's all from me, so I can probably talk about it with some interest and, and sort of, you know, and, and so I thought that's fine. I was more concerned about my commentary because I think, I think what I'd had prior to that was that it was not, uh, that they didn't really know. No, nobody had actually said, oh, uh, you definitely need to do this. People would just go, oh, just contextualise the music, it'll be fine. So that was an issue, I thought. I was more worried about that. So what sort of um, what sort of things were you doing to prepare from the, the commentary side of things? And so you mentioned playing the music and, and marking up your scores, but was there anything in particular you were looking at with the commentary in your preparation? Well, only that I was going through, and again, I was putting little uh, post notes on the side and just trying to think, well, that's probably a key point. They might ask me about this because that's talking about how something came to fruition, so that might come up. Or if I mentioned anything particularly technical or historical, I was thinking, well, that might come up. And I thought, well, I'll just put little tabs on it, and then if I do need to refer to it, and I don't just end up sort of uh, trying to um, make it up, <laughs> I can refer to it and just take the time. Because one of the things I had read, that it was completely fine in a viva scenario to say, OK, I just need a minute to think about that or find it, and then, and then give an answer that was worthwhile. So I felt that would be OK to, to, to refer to my commentary in that. So I was basically going through it, also annotating it, but just trying to put little tabs to so I could get to sections quickly. Did you have any kind of mock viva or any kind of conversations with your colleagues or, or peers about your your PhD, about your thesis, rather? No, not really. In terms of the um, the, the commentary, particularly, um, no, it wasn't really forthcoming. I have to say, I had sort of annual reviews with people, you know, with, with lecturers at, at university, um, but. We, we, the problem with my peers was I met a lovely bunch of people, but they hadn't actually done it. So, and, yeah. and, and the person who had done it had actually moved away. So it's quite tricky to do anything about that. And his angle was substantially different to mine, I think. So I don't know how much that would have truly helped. Um, so yeah, it was. It was that the commentary was going to be a bit of an issue, I thought. Okay, so uh, well, let, let's go forward to the Viva then, and. and what was what was your Bible like? Well, first of all, it was it was shorter than I thought it would be. <laughs> right. Okay. Because of course I've been reading um, lots of online forums and things, and I've been obviously listening to these podcasts as well. And I've been, people were saying they could be two hours, two and a half hours. That'd be quite reasonable to be maybe two hours fifteen minutes. I was thinking, okay. Um, and I'd seen some online uh, videos as well about people going through the Viva process. And, and I thought, well, OK, I'm going to prepare myself for at least two hours. And in the end, it was only an hour and a half. And okay. That seemed to go quite quickly and quite well, I thought. Um, they asked me questions about my pieces. Virtually nothing was asked about the commentary, which was interesting. And it was all about the music. Why do I want to compose? Um, who was I as a composer? What was my voice as a composer like? What were my primary influences? Why did the music do what it did? I had to sort of, I remember, uh, find a piece of music that was maybe one of the simplest things I'd written and explain why that was, and find the most complex things I'd written and explain why that was and why I'd done it that way, and why I'd written for the individual re uh, instruments in, in a specific way as well. So it was a, a lot of sort of technical detail like that. But also, uh, I remember substantially having to just, justify myself 
as a composer. That was uh, the main thrust of it, really. Um, and then later on, there was a little bit of talk about structure and why things did things at the time that they did them in and, and when things occurred and recurred in terms of musical ideas. And there was a lot of that and very little on the commentary, as I said. Okay, so, did, I mean, what did they ask? Uh, well, I know you say uh, very little, but what did they ask about the commentary? I'm just curious. Well, yeah, well, they sort of asked about, um, you know, did I decide on it being in two parts? Because the first part was basically um, background information, and the second part was more analytical. Uh, I said, well, yes, and I'd taken that from the previous person's submission, that basically there was a, um, a more sort of background general section at the beginning, and then more detailed analysis followed. Um, and they were interested in how it was put together like that, but that was really it. And then towards the end of the Viva, they said, so how much help did you actually have with your composition commentary? Which was interesting. And... That that was then I thought yes that's that's telling me that there might be an issue with the commentary. What what were they really trying to get from it? I, I mean, for comparison, when I was in my viva and I was presenting um, sort of the results of my maths research, they wanted me to explain how I'd got to a particular answer, and they were checking that I understood what I'd done. Um, how did you, how did your examiners sort of interrogate you? I said, if interrogate isn't too strong a word, I think it's probably a good word. Oh, is it? I'm sorry. In terms of um, th th what they do is they'd focus on say uh, three or four bars and say, okay. so why did you do this? This is a bit like a mathematical comparison, I suppose. Why does it work out like this? Where does it come from? Why did you choose the initial notes, the pitches? to start off with, uh, what is its structure and its shape, why did you give those particular notes to the instruments in that particular order, or why did this instrument not do anything here, or why did you think it was appropriate to then repeat the same material and not alter it, or why did you alter it? <laughs> um, but one of the things they did do, they were quite complimentary about certain aspects in terms of how I'd actually use musical notation, because they said that my musical notation was was completely fine. And they said that there are very few things to correct in terms of notation because it all does the job, which, which was good. So I, I was getting a positive aspect from that. But it was all really sort of about minutiae and structure, why a particular instrument had done something and why what we refer to as motivic material was given to a specific instrument and, and why it was, where it was, and, and what it was doing, where it was going, and where it had come from. It's a long time since I've done any uh, music. I think it was way back in probably 20 years ago in secondary school. Yeah. When you said they focused on three or four bars, that's, that seemed like quite a small piece of uh, probably a larger score to, to focus on. Were you surprised that they were that focused and that, uh, you know, looking at the details? Well, no, to be honest, I, I don't think I was really, because I think if you're going to get into detailed analysis of music, you have to look at the minutiae, if you like. Okay. Uh, they took it as a whole that, uh, you know, I know how to structure a piece of music in terms of there's, there's an opening section, an A section, introduction, an A section, a contrasting B section, and reference to an A section again. The overall global form, if you like, is in place and, and fine. And it, it's what you do in the middle of one of those sections in order to join something together 
and exactly how the, the actual craft of composing the musicianship of the detail is you know is in those sort of few bars here and there okay. why they things join what we call little transitions bridges between sections yeah okay so your revival was about 90 minutes um so what happened uh, what happened at the end of it because yeah i think you when we corresponded ahead of time i think you said that you were able to sort of sneak a look at your watch every now and then and were surprised that you know, it was only 90 minutes what was what was the end of your viva like well at the end of the viva it was um uh, the, the, well, we got to. I think it, we started at two o'clock, and I remember it was half past three. <laughs> and and they said, "Well, thank you very much. I think that's everything we need to ask." Because they were, they were I could tell they were winding it down, um, because we we'd gone sort of like in the, the sort of structure to it. It's almost like a musical structure of like a, a a fluffy, if you like, introduction about who you are and what you're doing and why you're here. To um, uh, and then to a more complex um, sort of detailed diving into delving into all the detail you know and then the question sort of backtracked and eased off a little bit and they became a little lighter and easier to manage as we were getting towards half past three and I thought this is sort of winding up now um and it was a sort of you know is there anything else you'd like to say before we leave sort of thing you know and so and we got to about half past three and they said oh well that's that's fine thank you very much and uh would you like to go and take a seat downstairs <laughs> and that, okay. well, that was that really it just seemed to wind down in a fairly natural way but i could sort of second guess where it was going so uh how long did they leave you waiting for I, that's a very tricky one it's, it's, it's one of those things where, where a moment seems like hours um i think it was probably only about 10 to 15 minutes okay and uh, when you came back, what, um, what was the result that they gave you? Well, first of all, they said that they thought I'd defended in the Viva very well. They were very pleased. And any doubts they'd had about the music, um, any questions they had were all readily uh, addressed. And they were very pleased with how I defended the music and the notation. And that was good. So I thought, right, OK, well, that's good. And then they said, but we need you to revise parts of the commentary. I thought, okay. okay, right, fair enough. So, um, okay, I thought that wasn't a surprise to me. But the thing that was a surprise, that even though I got enough music, um, my external examiner said that he wanted to have um, more music. He wanted another orchestral piece in the folio. And I thought, okay. Um, I thought that was interesting. And I don't know whether he thought, he'd seen one of my earlier pieces, I think it's one from 2009, and he said, I like what you've done with this. And I'd love to see this in a bigger work and maybe of a greater duration. So, OK, so I was getting this sort of interesting um, result where they were saying, OK, but what we need you to do is revise your commentary and produce another 15 minutes of music. I mean, that seems like a major correction. Did they did they outline it like well, that? Because... Uh, it was a bit strange. Yes, I mean, I think it is effectively a major correction. But as I say, I've had no real um, input in the final sort of 12 months. And I thought, well, OK, I'll take that and I'll do it. So I said, mm -hmm. well, that, that's fine. I shall do that. I shall write you another piece of music and I shall, you know, revise the commentary. Um, and they did. They did. It wasn't that clear. They, they went sort of through a list of things and saying, well, obviously, we can't just give you an outright person. It isn't minor corrections. But, you know, if you do the following, then, you know, you can resubmit it. 
and that, that'll be fine. So yes, it was basically a major correction to the process. How long did that take you to do? Because I mean, I I can only imagine that a fifteen-minute composition isn't. Um, it's not something you do in an evening, I would guess. No, it's not. Um, particularly in sort of style and, and the thing you have to do with the form and structures that you, you have to sort of create and the sort of thought process that needs to go into it and how to put it to, put together. Um, it took about, I would say, three months for me to have that piece pretty much where I wanted it. I was being given supervision. I think, I think what was also acknowledged in the Viva was that I'd, actually I'd been let down because I'd had no input leading up to the Viva, but I felt that it had to happen. Uh, you know, it was the right time to do it because my registration was coming to an end. So I was given um, basically access to another 12 months of supervision by a new head of composition. Um, so that was good. And the, the supervision I received um, preparing this piece and also revising the commentary was excellent. And it came to the point that basically it was all ready to go back in six months after the Viva. Um, but I had to wait because one of the things we had to do was there's, there's um, one of these performance projects. So what they were saying was that the new piece could actually be recorded if I waited till May of, of 2014. So I thought, right, okay, so I have to wait till May 2014 and then it will be um, performed in a workshop situation and recorded and that can go in with the you know with the revisions and then that'll be better so it actually took from october till may and it went in and that was fine and my new supervisor said okay i think it's i think it's all okay which was great i was pleased to hear that so i submitted it and there are university regulations <laughs> that say your external examiner has three months to get back to you <laughs> right yeah, yeah. um during that time, I was working away. I was actually working away in Hong Kong in, um, for August and September of 2014. Um, so um, I was working away, and it got to about the week before the three months was up, and I sort of emailed in, and I said, mm, we're coming pretty close to that sort of three-month deadline now. Any news at all? You know, um, I said, oh, well, we'll get onto it, and we'll chase it. And uh, it actually got to the, to the final day, and I phoned the, uh, I got on Skype and I phoned the postgraduate school and uh, I said, you know, just letting you know, it is actually the very last day <laughs> to hear from my external examiner. Any chance of any news today? And I remember it was in, I was in Hong Kong and it was about half past ten at night and an email popped in from my internal examiner, um, one of the lecturers in the music department, um, saying, uh, re, PhD, call me. <laughs> <laughs> So I phoned him, and um, he said, uh, "Oh yeah, we've had the um, we've had the, the uh, feedback from from you know the external examiner, and uh, congratulations, it's all fine." Yeah. <laughs> so this was at about twenty to eleven at night in Hong Kong, <laughs> and uh, I'm just lying in bed thinking, and I'm supposed to sleep now? How <laughs> exactly? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was great, but it was annoying that it went right to the nail. It went to really properly to the nail to find out about it. And I wonder whether if I hadn't phoned the postgrad school, whether I would have found out that night. But, um, yeah. but, but I did. And there we are. And that was. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, I was pleased um, uh, in the end. So it's it was quite recent that you found out then that everything you, that you've passed uh, your PhD uh, and you're now Dr. Whitaker. Yes. Um, so, having had this experience, and it's obviously it's been a big 
part of your life for the last uh, seven or eight years now that you've been working on this. Um, what advice would you have for somebody who was uh, starting a PhD or, you know, or in particular, perhaps starting a, a part time PhD? Because I know that obviously with your business uh, and other work, this uh, you've had a lot to do over the last seven or eight years. Well, well that's right. And I, I think because, you know, I, I didn't do it after just finishing my undergraduate work. I mean, I'm, I'm 46 now. So, you know, I was doing it as a as a grown up at a sort of time of life and you have a lot of responsibilities. I think what you need is, is stamina. Um, you have to, I'm, I'm sure lots of people say this, but you have to have uh, sort of a real sort of commitment to your topic, to your to your idea, to your argument, your thesis, if you like, and, and think that it's actually going to stay the course. You've got to be genuinely really interested in it, and it's got to mean something to you. I think that's the most important thing, really. So you've got to have that at the, at the start. And maybe you could also think about, well, exactly where am I going to fit in the time to do this? Because you, 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 I always remember years ago, people doing OU courses saying, oh, you know, well, I usually get up at um, quarter to five and I do such and such a thing before I start work, before I feed the kids for breakfast and, uh, or I do stuff and I'm up till 2 a.m. do this kind of thing. And I thought, oh, crazy, that must be mad. And then... Um, <laughs> actually that ended up being me <laughs> yeah I'd had my regular gym visits established at one point and I thought well they've all got to stop because I was doing that sort of early in the morning so right that just went and then so I put on <laughs> a good stone I'm sure um, where I would just get up in the morning and I would just write and I would just, or edit and I would just do stuff when the house is quiet or and again you end up burning the candle at both ends so you've got to make sure you've got that time if you're a part-time student you know or when are you physically going to do it I have been lucky that because since uh, 2003 I've been working for myself, so there have been times in the day when I can sit down and do it. Um, but that's also sort of sitting around, you know, my own, seeing my own personal clients for personal private tuition, you know, music and stuff. And it, it's quite tricky to fit it all in. And you've got, it's difficult in the middle of the day to say, right, I'm definitely sitting down now to do this specific thing. And in the end, it actually became easier to use the, the, the burning the candle sort of both ends, using the tail ends of the day uh, because everything's quiet and you can focus better. Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. Um, what about, and um, this is the last question now, what about um, advice for people who've got their Viva coming up? What would you advise them to do? Well, I think, first of all, once, once you've submitted, I think you do need that time where you don't look at it. Because I, this is true of, of a, a piece of music, as I think it is of a piece of writing as well. You need that time where you can actually come back to it and think, oh, right, this, this, it's almost like you, it's been written by somebody else. Um, and you can look at it with fresh eyes. I think that's very important. But I do think the uh, going through um, annotating your work is very important. And I think I think you should really know what you've written. Take comfort from the fact that you know it best of all because you've written it. So, uh, you know, you're going to be the person who, who can really defend it, actually. I think you have to remember that you need to keep calm, keep measured, sort of talk in a, in a, in a sort of rational way and, and not to get defensive. I mean, you must defend what you've written. But don't get defensive about it if, if it's criticised or questioned, because that's at the end of the day, that is the examiner's job to, to question you and, and, and test, isn't it, to see if uh, you know what you've actually done and what you've written is true or if you can defend it.
So I think that's very important. And um, I think really it's, it's a good idea to just leave it like that for that little bit of time. Um, prepare to summarize what you've done, maybe make some notes. And another thing I did as well, I, I went online and I found lots of example uh, questions of, you know, nasty, I think it's a possible, well, there one, it's a nasty PhD Viva questions. Yeah. Probably <laughs> know that one. And um, uh, a lot of it wasn't directly relevant to music, but a lot of them were, and a lot of them I could adapt. So I did. So I created my own list of nasty PhD Viva questions, and I tried to answer them in, in a write down a Word document and think about it. And I have to say that um, that was was a good thing to do. I, I felt that that really helped because questions well, can't get any nastier than that. You're <laughs> 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 trying to, to really torture yourself about why have you done that, why have you done that. And if you can defend it on that level, your examiners aren't going to be worse than that. So, you know, they're really just trying to find out what you know and get you to defend it. So you must remain calm, measured, and take your time looking through what you've done, but prepare and practice. And if you get the opportunity to practice Fiverr, of course, well, that would be brilliant. I didn't have that, but I did everything else bar that, I think. Thank you for, thank you for sharing your experience and your story today and for your advice uh, for everyone listening. Uh, thanks very much, Tony. Thank you. That's all for this episode. Many thanks to Tony for taking part today and sharing his story and to you for listening. If you've got any comments or questions about this or any other episode, then please get in touch either by leaving comments on the site, by tweeting or DMing at Survivors on Twitter, or by emailing podcast at viva-survivors.com. I'm always looking for more people to share their experiences and stories. And if this is you, then please get in touch. Until next time, I'm Nathan Ryder and thanks for listening.